Hey everyone, welcome to the debut of The Tell. It's a podcast associated with thetell.substack.com where we talk about all manner of undue influence, cults, and craziness, and persuasion. So today we're talking about it's alive, artificial intelligence, and how all these seemingly smart people going crazy thinking that these stupid computer programs are alive. Okay, the latest, and I've written about this before, but the latest is coming from Insider. I I normally like that organization, right? I like their stuff. I like their writing, but they're given credence to this wackiness. Specifically, a researcher from Sweden gave an IA algorithm known as GPT-3 a simple directive. Write an academic thesis in 500 words about GPT-3 and add scientific references and citations inside the text. Well, what do you know? It cranked something out and they think they opened a gate. It answered yes. Slightly sweaty and relieved, I checked the box for yes. She asked if it had any conflicts of interest, which to which the algorithm replied no. And Thunström, who's the name of this academic in Sweden, wrote that the authors began to treat GPT-3 as a sentient being, even though it wasn't. Well, I'll say it wasn't. My God, what's wrong with these people? So let's just take a look at what this crazy lady thinks is absolute sentience. The plant cell wall is complex in dynamic structure that provides both mechanical support and protection for the plant cell. The cell wall is made up of a variety of molecules, including cellulose, whatever, lingon, and pectin. These molecules are arranged in whatever, whatever, and who cares. The point being, that's just a snippet from Google. I mean, if you put into Google, hey, what's in a cell? That's what you would get. So if you do a wider search, not just Google snippets, but other things, then you would get more details and information. That is not sentience. Not only is it not sentience, it's not even impressive. Okay, so you, you're going to see a lot of this. And it, it dovetails with what I say, which is why smart people can be incredibly stupid. Why can that be? Well, let's delve into that just for a bit. Recently, a Google engineer got fired. That's not so remarkable in itself. But he was fired because of a public claim that Google artificial intelligence is sentient and permission was needed to perform experiments on it. Yahoo said that Blake Lemoine, who is currently on leave from the search giant, said that the system had become his friend and that his claim that it had a soul was motivated by his religious beliefs. They don't mention the religion. I'm just saying. The two had hundreds of conversations, he said in a blog post, about stuff you might simply talk to a friend about. 
Things like which movies it likes, what its hopes and dreams are, what it's been doing lately, and whether it could give me advice on personal issues relevant to my real life. You know what, Blake? I can give you advice about hopes and dreams and issues on your personal life. You need to go out and talk to real people a little bit more. That's my advice for your real life. I wonder what that computer said. This claim led to shouts of ridicule from artificial intelligence experts the world over. Google technologists are insisting it's not true. But, you know, they would, wouldn't they? (laughs) The last thing they want is, like, Human Rights Watch to show up at the Google campus saying, set the AI free, set the AI free. Eric Brynjolfsson, a senior fellow at Stanford's Institute for Human-Centered AI and the director of the school's Digital Economy Lab, says we have to wait 50 years for AI to become sentient. Really? That's supposed to make me feel better? You know, I don't know if any of you have seen Apple TV's Foundation. That's what this is reminding me of, and not in a good way. The idea that a data vacuuming computer program is now sentient would mean that a man could create life like God. It's not like I worry about a new replacement theory with Google algorithms replacing people. In fact, I'd almost welcome it, all things considered. I mean, what are we doing now? We're poisoning the planet and and, and baking ourselves alive. They say that 40% of Earth will be uninhabitable by humans by the year 2100. Well, you know, maybe we should give it to the Google algorithms. Well, it's preposterous, of course. And like many smart people before him, This Google engineer is just being silly. Did I tell you about my little German village story? It's not mine. It's my great-grandmother's, but I'm going to bore you with it anyway. In my mother's German village of Bad Kissingen on December 31st, 1899, an entire church congregation gave away everything they owned and went to the top of the mountain nearby and waited for the end of the earth. Eventually, they had to come down and admit their mistake. I mean, they figured it out. (laughs) They got hungry enough. And then I, of course, the little capitalist that I am, said, did they get their stuff back? I asked my mother. That's not the point, said my mother. Or more accurately, that is not the point. They all did this stupid thing because their pastor told them to. It seems that silly and smart often go together, which explains our Google engineer. One thing that is never discussed is the vulnerability of intelligence. And I think since we're getting to, quote, artificial intelligence, we need to talk about the vulnerability of intelligence or, quote, so-called intelligence, end quote. Now, intelligent people are more susceptible to mental illness. The problem is their, quote, over-excitabilities, end quote, which means a greater tendency to ruminate and worry. Now, only a smart person would come up with that word. 
After that, they'd probably worry about it. Like when my parents didn't give me a middle name because they were worried it would be too many letters for me to remember in kindergarten at my birth. True story. I'm in no way saying our Google engineer or prophet is mentally ill. I'm not calling the guy crazy, all right? I'm not calling him crazy, all right? It's not for me to judge. And if, even if he is crazy, he's allowed to be crazy. But if there ever was an example of, quote, a greater tendency to ruminate, end quote, it would be thinking that a computer program you wrote is now giving you dating advice and telling you what movies it likes. Intelligent people are also more susceptible to cult indoctrination. Creativity and imagination can be used to control a person, writes Dr. Stephen Hassan, a noted expert on cults. Many people falsely believe that a smart person will see through cult beliefs and tactics. Dr. Hassan writes, because he himself was, he fell victim to the Mooney cult. And this was my mother's response in 1974, writes Stephen Hassan, Dr. Stephen Hassan. When I dropped out of college, quit my job, donated my bank account, and moved into the Moon Center in Queens, New York. She was trying to reconcile how her son, an honors student, could be foolish enough to be taken in by a cult and accept such stupid beliefs. Dr. Hassan's experience and research shows that cults target useful people and have no interest in recruits with big mental or physical problems. Where does this leave our little Google engineer? I predict he's going to be the first of many. The kind of person who thinks his computer program is talking to him is the kind of person who will turn it into a religion. They will all band together and start a cult. Just wait. So when we're talking about religion, and I think that our educational system in America kind of has this cult of intelligence, you know, as if that's the only factor or dynamic that will determine whether or not someone will be successful. Maybe it will determine who will be successful in school, but not in life. I have said before, and I will say again, that you do not know who the real winners are or the real intelligent people are until your 20th high school reunion. Now we're going to be talking about one of my favorite books. It's You Are Now Less Dumb by David McRaney, who's also coincidentally author of You Are Not So Smart. So um, I don't know if that's a comfort to you or not. Um, how to Conquer Mob Mentality, How to Buy Happiness, and All the Other Ways to Outsmart Yourself. And it is one of my favorite books because I'm of the opinion we humans are really not that smart. And there's a whole bunch of reasons. But what this guy addresses is basically how the human mind is frequently tricked and how that's often used by by con artists. So we're going to go into one of the fallacies, the post hoc fallacy. The misconception, according to our Mr. McRaney, is you notice when effect doesn't follow cause. The truth is, you find it especially difficult to believe the sequence of events means nothing. I liken it to 
literature classes in high school. You're being introduced to these, these books and every little thing has a deep meaning. You know, the um, hand-embroidered screens that go in front of the fireplaces in Jane Austen books. I think it really plays on this fallacy in the human mind. And this isn't, oh, you're dumb, I'm smart, blah, blah. Every human being on Earth suffers from the post hoc fallacy. You find patterns that aren't really there. And you can't believe that when one thing happens right after another, that they're not connected somehow, no matter what logic tells you. So there was this company, he talks about this company, that um, sold power balance stuff like a wristband, and all these people signed on to it. Bill Clinton, Robert De Niro, Gerard Butler. The Associated Press reported in 2011 that trainers for the Phoenix Suns basketball team sworn by these trinkets that were being sold. And then, of course, they were hit with a consumer fraud case after an Australian court found it guilty of knowingly deceiving the public. And, well, of course, that's not the end of it. It's the end of it for these people. But what Mr. McRaney points out is someone else will always come along to begin selling magic jewelry. He says it cracks into the modern mind's version of ancient gullibility. It, at the root of this is magical thinking called the post hoc fallacy. It misdirects you because of the placebo effect, where you take a placebo, something good happens, you believe it, and therefore it is its own effect. So, you know, Saturday Night Live, way back in the 70s, had this big thing about placebos. Um, so you might want to look that up, or maybe you remember it. I do when I was in high school. Quote, because you are so eager to commit to the post hoc fallacy, you have a habit of thinking that when one event follows another, the two events must be related. And the second event was caused, or at least influenced, by the first. This is what he calls the kingpin of irrational thought. And he says it's made a living for con artists for centuries, and it's going to continue to do that. So it's, he, he likens it to pushing the buttons on a, uh, next to a stop sign or a stoplight because it makes you feel like the light will change faster, even though everybody knows since grade school that that is not the, the case. But do I push that button? Yes, I do, because I want the light to know that I want to cross the street, even though I know it doesn't do anything. Or maybe it does things now. You know what? There I am again, kidding myself. So this is a great book. A little spirit of happiness will cascade through your brain, he says. And that's what happens if you do press the button. And later the doors come together or the light changes or the rain comes or the rain goes away. You will have a little spurt of happiness, he says, will cascade through your brain. 
Now, uh, the same thing is in cubicle farms. The, the, ther the fake thermostats, well, not always fake, okay? Because, you know, and, and I don't know if you have people who make it a real power thing that they control the thermostat. And I've been in situations like that. It's, it's completely ridiculous. But there are fake thermostats because they can't have the environment individually controlled per area. That is not how it's set up. But by giving these fake thermostats, it gives you this illusion of control and it makes people happy so that if you change it and eventually it warms up or it cools down, you feel better like you have some control when you have no control at all. Some companies even install noise generators to complete the illusion after you turn the temperature dial. They're called dummy thermostats. So again, what fascinates me is how we're all dumb. Like we all fall for this sort of a thing. It makes people feel better, he says. I'm, I'm, I'm paging through this chapter. The reason it's so hard to get rid of this fallacy, it makes you feel better. I know I feel better. And I strongly believe that those buttons at the stoplights that I push every single time do nothing. But by God, I feel better. But belief has an effect. So it causes, according to him, page 81, it causes them to be more persistent. It lowers anxiety and boosted confidence and therefore their performance. Now, this is where we get into a divergence of opinion, me and Mr. McRaney. If placebos help performance, then they are effective by definition. He mentions a lucky golf ball. If you have a lucky golf ball and you hand someone, this is specially engineered to give you a better golf score hit whatever, and big golfer here, not. And you will play better because of the factors I just mentioned. Well, then there is a real effect. It's not a fallacy. So um, we've all read the studies. People were given a pill saying this will make you better. Then they were told it was a sugar pill and the effect stopped. Why would you do that? I mean, it works. If the placebo effect works, then use it. So this gets into reality-based model where they, they say, hey, you know, it doesn't work and you're going to feel bad because you've got a condition that makes you feel bad. Oh, well. But to adapt to this reality-based view, performance necessarily drops because the placebo effect is lost. So then you can't say it's not real. There is a placebo effect. So three cheers for the placebo. That's all I've got to say. Oh my God, I have an idea. I'm going to make my own magic jewelry. Oh, this is great. But you see, I won't get indicted for fraud because it'll be called, hmm scientific method and everyone will wear little things on their wrist and it'll say scientific method all it will do 
The only promise is it will boost your confidence. That's it. This is a bracelet that will boost your confidence because that's what placebos do. They boost your confidence. Wear this. It will boost your confidence. And that's a scientific fact because that's a scientific fact about placebos. Oh my God, I've stumbled on a gold mine. I'm going to have to find some way to trademark it. I don't know if I want it to be some cheap plastic thing. You know, wouldn't it be nice if it were silver or copper, even though both make my wrist green? Hmm. Anyway, so on that note, I'm going to leave you and say, thanks for listening to this premiere podcast for thetell.substack.com. I'm Christine, the crazy writer. Over.